The following podcast is a production of Mosaic in Whittier, California, a community of faith, hope, and love. For more information about Mosaic gatherings and events, please visit mosaic.org. Hey, uh, let's go to Ezekiel chapter 34, verses 1 through 10. Ezekiel 34, verses 1 through 10. As we get into conversation number four, numero cuatro, regarding the I am statements of Jesus Christ. And here in the Old Testament, this is what um, Ezekiel wrote. Chapter 34, verses 1 through 10. The word of the Lord came to me. A son of man prophesy or speak against the shepherds of Israel. And prophesy and say to them, this is what the sovereign Lord says. Woe to you, shepherds of Israel, who only take care of yourselves. Should you not shepherd, should not the shepherds take care of the flock? You eat the curds, clothe yourselves with the wool, and slaughter the choice animals, but you do not take care of the flock. You have not strengthened the weak, or healed the sick, or bound up the injured. You have not brought back the strays, or searched for the lost. You have ruled them harshly, brutally. So they were scattered because there was no shepherd. And when they scattered, they became food for all the wild animals. And my sheep wandered all Uh, wandered over all the mountains and on every high hill. They were scattered over the whole earth and no one searched for them or looked for them. Now, uh, here's here's the, um, I'll jump back in in a second. I I know you're hearing the words, but I I want you to experience them and feel them as well. What what God is saying is, I am really angry and put off by those of you who claim to be, you know, religious people caring for folks, pastors, shepherds, religious leaders, I am so ticked off at you because you do not care for those people. All right? And I think the, the reason why I want to stop here for just a moment is that I think we have the image in our head that, you know, God's always angry. You know, he's always worried that somebody might be having fun and, uh, and uh, he's there to make sure no one hap- that doesn't happen. But he's really angry at folks who claim to be pastors, priests, shepherds, whatever, you know, whatever title that religious role of leadership might have. But you really don't care for people in the end. Or there's some sort of weird, broken need you have and that you're taking advantage of people. Because, I mean, you can. I'm telling you, you can do that in this role. And you, you, there's news. There's, I mean, we understand that folks in this, these positions and roles can't take advantage of people. That's what God's angry about, that you're not caring for these people. Verse 7, therefore you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. As surely as I live, declares the sovereign Lord, because my flock lacks a shepherd and so has been plundered and has become food for all the wild animals. And because my shepherds did not search for my flock, but cared for themselves rather than my flock. Therefore you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. This is what the sovereign Lord says. I am against the shepherds and will hold them accountable for my flock. You know, I don't, um, there have been times I've done the foolish thing of picking a fight with somebody larger than me. Got my butt handed back to me. I'm just, this is a, you know, I'm just going to suggest this. If God is against you, you know, you're probably not in a good position. I'm just thinking you might be in trouble. When God actually says, I'm against you. I will remove them from tending the flock so that the shepherds can no longer feed themselves. I will rescue my flock from their mouths and it will no longer be food for them. So at the end of uh, last week, we were looking at the phrase, uh, I am the light of the world, and Jesus makes this conversation, has this, you know, has a discussion and narrative. But then, in chapter 9, he actually heals a man who was born blind, from birth blind. And chapter 10, which I'm going to jump into in a moment, is a continuation of chapter 9. It, there's not a break. 
So the same people he was talking to in chapter 9, he's talking to in chapter 10. Same people, okay? So, um, you know, there was the... uh, Just to kind of remind ourselves, the disciples were walking by with Jesus. They see a man born blind. And they asked Jesus, again, you can hear the twisted, perverse theology that they had. They go, so who sinned that this person would be born blind? Did they sin or was it their parents? And just think of the awful conclusions that they're coming to, that God is this awful person that because, you know, Janine would do something, that I'm going to punish your kids with blindness. You follow? Okay. Or that somehow, which is even crazier when you think about it, there was some awful offense as a fetus. You know, I, what, 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 you're a fetus. What do you do? You're, you're swimming around. What do you do? You know, I'm done with you. Born blind. You know, see, see I mean, you can see how goofy that is. But also this weird view of God's kindness or justice and fairness. And we just read in Ezekiel really what his heart is towards people. I care about people. And Jesus points out, well, neither one. But I'm going to show you something you know, pretty big about God. And we, you know, he did the, <laughs> okay, don't hate, but I'm just, and I, I know it's, everything's a movie in my head. <clears throat> and it's always the part that is not mentioned is that's of interest to me. He's born blind, but he's not deaf, right? So you ever been in those places where people are having a conversation about you and you go, hello, still here, right? <laughs> so, you know, if you could close your eyes for a second and imagine black, I guess you're blind, people are talking about you. Right? And then the next thing you hear is, and you go, oh, that's gross, man. That's awful. Whoever's doing that. Then you hear footsteps coming towards you. Then you hear, then you feel the saliva and the mud on your eyes. I, I, I don't know. I, I, I've often wondered, what, what would be my reaction? Are you going to make fun of me? Are you trying to mock me? Um, I, I don't know. Because he couldn't see Jesus. So then that whole thing. And there are some questions and some things that Jesus says that if it's not Jesus, it sounds awful. Like when he talks to a paralyzed person, get up and walk. You know, like to anybody else, <laughs> dude, come on. And then he tells, he tells a guy that had all this mud in his face, hey, why don't you go wash now? Well, he's born. I mean, does he even know where the pool is where he's supposed to go wash? Thanks, dude, you know, put mud in my eye. I wonder if that's where that expression came from. Here's mud in your eye, you know. It's religious, and uh, so it's a blessing. So um, then we talked about, you know, someone had to lead him over to that, to that pool where the water was drawn out there at the temple, um, and, you know, having to wash his face. And I wonder, you know, how many times did it take to put water to your eyes? And, you know, first thing he saw was his water and his hands, then people, then the temple court, and, you know, all that amazement. So then folks are beginning to respond to that, and it's still at the same moment that he's talking to the same folks, okay? So that's all happened. Chapter 10. Very truly, I tell you, Pharisees, anyone who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate, but climbs in by some other way, is a thief and a robber, all right? So what's he talking about? Let's just use this square as an example of something, okay? It's not like this, but I'll give you a visual. <clears throat> in the cooler times of the year, this is about the time of the Feast of Tabernacles, um, it's not winter, it's still summer, and it's a little bit cooler in the evening, uh, sheep would be outside with, the, with their shepherd, okay, and uh, there might, might say it'd be kind of a portable gate or a pen, 
And it would just be a little enclosure, but there would, the, the, the door would be open. There'd be like a little gate, but it wasn't a gate. It's just an opening where a sheep would come in and out of, okay? And he's saying that anybody who tries to get into the sheep except through that door is a thief or a robber. Makes sense. If I'm trying to break into your house, probably don't use the front door. Probably use a window, right? Verse 2, the one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. So the one who goes through the front door is obviously the shepherd. Verse 3, the gatekeeper, it's a different person, the gatekeeper opens the gate for him and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. Now the gatekeeper was a person that was, could be working with the shepherd, hired by the shepherd, but the gatekeeper had a vested interest with the shepherd as well. And the gatekeeper would also recognize the shepherd as the shepherd, like you're the guy. I'm just working with you, I'm learning from you, you know. All right, so there's that person. Verse four, when he has brought them uh, all out his own, he goes on ahead of them and his sheep follow him because they know his voice. But they will never follow a stranger. In fact, they'll run away from him because they don't recognize a stranger's voice. Now Jesus used this figure of speech, shepherd, gatekeeper, door, pen, sheep. But the Pharisees didn't understand what he was telling them. I guess, you know, Ezekiel 34 was not on their mind. So verse seven, Jesus, therefore Jesus said again, very truly I tell you, I'm the gate for the sheep. All who have come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep have not listened to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved, but they will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief only to steal, kill, destroy, but I have come that they may have life and have have it to the full, real life. So he's gone from good shepherd, a title he used for himself, this is, I mean, this is a direct reference back to this Old Testament title, okay? <clears throat> and then he calls himself, the, I'm also the gatekeeper, and I'm also the door. I'm not the gatekeeper, I'm the door. Um, verse 11, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand is not the shepherd and does not own the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. Okay, so there's a, another dynamic here. There's a shepherd... There's a gatekeeper that works with the shepherd. But then there's also a third person, or a type of a person, it would be the hired hand. The hired hand would not have any claim or stock with the, with the shepherd, uh, would not have any vested interest in the sheep. He or, uh, was just paid to watch the door. And legally, he was not bound for any loss to the animals. So if there was an attack from thieves or robbers or wolves or lions and tigers and bears, oh my, you know, Cholos. So it could be a number of sheep being tagged. <laughs> but if, if there was an attack on the sheep, the hired hand had no legal responsibility to make up for the loss. So if there was an attack, you know, and you're the hired hand, it said, well, you would, you would take off, you know. I'm not paid to risk my life, and so I'm not going to. And I don't care enough to risk my life, so I'm not going to. Okay. Verse 12 still, the hired hand is not the shepherd, does not own the sheep, so when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. Then the wolf attacks, the flock scatters it. The man runs away because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. Verse 14, again, I'm the good shepherd. I know my sheep. My sheep know me. Just as the father knows me and I know the father, I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep that are not of this sheep pen, and I must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice, and there shall be one flock, one shepherd. 
And the reason why my father loves me is that I lay down my life only to take it up again. Verse 18. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, authority to take it up again. This command I received from my father. Now, let's, um, now you read this quickly. Let me stop again here before we finish this passage. What Jesus is saying is that, you know, death for you is natural. It's not for me. You are going to die. That's where we're headed. All right? We all know that. Some of you have recently attended funerals or had a relative pass away. So you, you feel this maybe a little bit differently. <clears throat> Jesus is saying, I, I, I don't die. I'm not dying. I'm not from that line of Adam. I'm not that person. But if I, quote, die, I'm choosing to die. And I have the ability to choose to come back as well. So my first question, you know, if I'm reading this for the first time, I'm thinking, I'm stuck. You know, is this true? Because it can't be sort of true. Just sort of like that old cliche, you're not sort of pregnant. Either you are or you're not. I'm not. Um, so either Jesus, see here's what you're stuck with. Either Jesus is completely crazy or he's actually God. Because you can't say these things and be sane. You can't be a good moral teacher and be completely mixed up about your self-identity. You can't have insight that's useful and helpful if you're making statements that have no basis in reality. How would you know when that person is speaking out of insanity or clarity? That's what you're stuck with. And so, you know, let's, uh, I'm telling you as your friend, I'm telling you as, as, as a person that's had to process this, I'm, I'm just convinced of this, but we need to grow up and not think of Jesus as a good moral teacher. He's not that. He's not a good moral teacher. Either he's insane or he's God. He can't be, the, he can't be something in between. Um, no, I, I recognize there are folks that, that, that want to keep Jesus as a good moral teacher. And, and it, truthfully, there, there are other examples if that's where you want to keep him. You, know, you can look at other examples of people who, who lived a good life. So it's the identity of Jesus that's always going to be uh, the question that each of us have to answer. Who is he ultimately? All right, let's finish this passage up here, then I'll start the talk. Verse 19, the Jews that heard these words, again, uh, the Jews who heard these words were again divided. So some of them were like, okay, well, verse 20, some of them said, he's demon-possessed and crazy. <laughs> Why listen to him? Because one or the other is bad, but when you're both, you know, that's like a double whammy. Verse 21, but others said, and this is also interesting, the same person the same miracle, the same speech, the same talk, the same environment, the same ethnic heritage, the same understanding of the Old Testament, the same thing. Some folks said, wow, this guy is deeply involved in darkness or he's deeply insane. Others said, I, I think he might be the one. Verse 21, um, these are not the sayings of a man possessed by a demon and can a demon open the eyes of the blind? So as I mentioned earlier, chapter 10 follows chapter 9. It's the same continuous story. And um, what's interesting is how uh, Israel uh, had this language of metaphors for themselves as uh, in terms of their understanding of God, that God, one of the ways he describes himself is as a shepherd. I am a shepherd. Um, you're my sheep. And I think what's interesting to, to consider is that um, anybody ever been on a ranch with, she with sheep? No? Yeah? Yeah? Okay. They're, they're not... They're not animals that can kind of take care of themselves, are they? They're very... 
dumb. Yeah, I, and I, when, when, when God calls us sheep, I wonder who's getting the bigger insult, the sheep or us, you know? <laughs> they're not, uh, yeah, they're not, they're not like cats, right? Cats move in and out of relationships, you know, <laughs> right? Like I said before, they are the hipster of the animal kingdom. Um, you know, I, in fact, I remember once I was talking to this cat, and I said, no, I don't want to hear your playlist. I don't care about the Decemberists. Your scarf is stupid, so is your little hat. And so anyway, because he was a hipster, see? It's a cat with a scarf and a cardigan. <laughs> Sounds like me, yeah. Like, I, it's sort of like, hey, I've just described myself. So... Um, uh, I have not seen this, but I am that documentary guy. You know, anything about animals or ships or boats, you know, the History Channel. So the sheep thing has been interesting, how animals are raised, that kind of thing. Um, but I also read a book by a man named Philip something who wrote a book of his life as a shepherd. But he was Western, and he had a chance to visit the Middle East and see how folks do the shepherding thing there. One thing that's interesting is that uh, in the West, uh, as far as sheep being led or taken to places. In the West, they're driven. In other words, the shepherd is behind them with moving them forward or from the side with the assistance of dogs or somebody else. It's more of a uh, control fear thing in the West because, you know, we understand power. But in the East, in the Middle East, this is not the way sheep are led. This was just crazy because, it, I mean, it's, it, you, you could see it happening in this particular film that I saw. Especially if there were shepherds traveling with other sheep for safety reasons. Um, a shepherd would move ahead of their animals. And with their voice, a whistle or a call, you could have all the sheep of different shepherds in the same pen. And so when they would leave, you're expecting this chaos. And that one's mine, that one's mine. No, the shepherd would just have a call, a whistle, a little sound that they make. And his or her, his sheep would follow them. Interesting. So when Jesus says the sheep, the sheep know my voice, it's not you know we're, we're kind of Westernizing this and Christianizing this. Yes, we know Jesus. We follow his voice as if we do that often. We sometimes don't. <clears throat> but he's actually talking about something they would understand. How many of you saw um, Babel? Remember that film? Right. Great, great film. Right. The shepherding boy thing. Right. When when they when. When David in Psalm 23 and others speak about that he leads me to green pastures, we, we again, we have maybe a notion of our front lawns, the green pastures. You know, there's this, this grass and grass everywhere, right? Not so. In many cases, the, the green pastures were the mouthful only of green that a shepherd would take his sheep to. So a shepherd would have a, a short club-like, you know, thing, uh, club-like thing. Let's call it a club. And, um, and a staff with a hook on it. Uh, the club was once in a while to give a little you know, knock on the head to kind of get people moving. You know, the sheep, they were stuck or stubborn to get them to move, right? Not be, not be stubborn and stuff like that. And the crook was sometimes used if, if a sheep, which, which paralyzes in fear. I mean, if there's some sort of distress at any level, it, it freezes up. Would to hook the neck of that sheep and lead it down or lead it out of trouble or to pick it up you know, from a place where it was um, safe. They won't drink from moving water. You know, they don't know what to do with it apparently. Water's moving. 
Is it safe? <laughs> so this is why when David speaks about he leads me to the still waters, because they can only lap from a pools of water. If they fall over on their side <laughs> or roll over on their back, they're like turtles. <laughs> you know, I just... Doesn't that take cow tipping to another level? Like you would like to... Cow tipping's for, for wimps. It's the sheep tipping that you want to do, you know? Um, was someone saying ah over there? Yeah. I thought someone was going to say that was bad. So at any rate, then... <laughs> okay. I was just waiting for a moment to use the joke. I know you feel like I pulled the wool over your eyes, but come on. Oh, oh, come on. <laughs> it's awful. There are so many interesting uh, things to, to recognize and hear about sheep that I found fascinating to see. Oh, and this is why God calls us that. And how we are at times when we, get, we hit those points where we're easily distressed and you can't move. And some of you have different tolerances and, and levels of pain and, or and physical or emotional anxiety. Right? But you, you can hit a wall and you're just done. You don't know what else, right? There's, some of us have experienced a comfort level and um, a peace that comes from connecting to God and perhaps even, not perhaps, that comes from when you have actually, and this is what's crazy, because this is what we're claiming. We're claiming that Jesus is still alive today as he was then and still speaks to us today as he did then to others and that his words have a not just a calming effect, but a healing effect, which would bring peace. Right? And, and, and the word even in scripture, the word peace, is not just the, the absence of strife or anxiety, but that there's, a, there's some things that are being restored. Things are at peace. They're working the way they're supposed to. They're, they're in, in right relationship with their creator. Shalom is more than just, you know, I've eaten, I'm watching a good movie, I'm at peace. No, everything is meant, every, you're running at your optimal level as you're supposed to run. You're relating to God, to nature, to your family, to your friends, as you were meant to. That's peace. So um, this, let me get to this voice thing, because when Jesus uses these two metaphors, shepherd and door, he says a couple of things. Number one, he says um, to those who are Jewish, his audience, you know the shepherd that was spoken of in the scriptures? I'm, I'm him. Because the shepherd was always a title and, and, and a, a position or role given to God, Yahweh, Jehovah, the, um, a being so holy in their estimation that even when folks would write his name, they wouldn't write his name. You know, they would just write the consonants, I guess, the English equivalent. Because even... He, he, their understanding of him, he was so far away from them, so holy, so completely unlike them, that when they came to even, like I said, mention their name, wouldn't, wouldn't write it. And then here's Jesus, this person that's lived among them and, and been with them, that they know. He, they know his family. Um, he says, I'm the good shepherd. And I can understand for some of these folks, they thought, wow, this is such a, a uh, you know, an insulting blasphemy that... Oh, you must be from a demon to speak such horrible, awful things, or you're crazy. So I'll say this about those first century audience. They understood the implication of what Jesus was saying. All right? Okay. Second thing, then he, then he switches the metaphors. Then he says, I'm the door. Still in that, you know, sheep, shepherd, you know, story or parable. Then he says, I'm the door as well. And this is what's interesting about the door. Um, some of you already know this, and if, you, if not, maybe you could... Hopefully experience it in a different way if you do. So in the documentary, you know, when the gate is mentioned, uh, the pen, you can see there's obviously an opening. 
And so the, through an interpreter, like, well, well, then what's the door? And the, the shepherd smiled, got on the floor, spread out a cloth thing he was wearing. He says, I'm the door. And I remember thinking, that, what a, what, I mean, what a part, I mean, I, I, I know that metaphor, I understand it, but it wasn't until I saw it that it, it meant much more sense to me. That Jesus is saying, I'm not only the good shepherd, that, I mean, I care deeply about these animals, but I'm the door that keeps and, and protects. I'm the door that actually, um, I'm, I'm the only way, I'm the only healthy way in, you know. Um, I think for many of us, because we, we've been around churches and church language, we immediately think of the door as the only thing we think about it as, or maybe primarily think about it as, is my personal salvation, my, my, my ticket to heaven. And I'm not disparaging that. I mean, I'm betting my life on that, as some of you are as well. But I'm going to make a suggestion to you that in the scriptures, the idea of God sending his son um, in John, that famous verse quoted, translated often, John 3.16, for God so loved the what? World. You notice he didn't mention people, or he didn't say people, said the world. That, that, that God's plan includes not just your personal entrance into heaven, but a complete restoration of everything back to the way it was supposed to function as it did when he first created it. And then he, what he invites us into is that I, I want you to help me with this plan to continue it. I want to bring you back your, to your full humanity so that you're functioning as you were meant to. And then also then relating correctly with, with, with yourself, with each other, with nature. And, but, but first and foremost with me. But that's what puts everything back in order. So Jesus is saying something about the door that's really significant. That I am the connection. I am the person. I'm it. There is no one else, nothing else that connects you to that ultimate reality. However you understand it, whatever you want to call him. That way, that portal, the only person, bridge, whatever, is me. And I, I knew from this past week or two that this was probably the most... For us here in the West, maybe the most controversial sort of kind of, of conversation, I am the door, because, you know, we want to believe that, oh, what's the one we're not? Mm. I mean, don't, don't all roads eventually get to God? I mean, doesn't that sound fair? <laughs> I mean, why would God make it so exclusive? Doesn't it feel that way? Um, how many of you, or maybe, maybe you do, maybe you're that person. How many of you have seen the bumper sticker that says coexist with the different religious symbols and that kind of thing? Yeah. Yeah, you know, and I, I, I tell you, my, my first reaction is just thinking, oh, yeah, why not? I, I, I don't have an issue with someone who disagrees with me. I, I think all of you are this way too. Your world is big enough to have friends that you deeply care about that disagree with you at every fundamental level. And I don't have an issue with somebody saying, well, you know, Man, it's Islam that rocks, or it's Judaism that's that point, or it's this Eastern way of thinking. Awesome. Is it working for you? Yeah, man, I'm so enlightened. Awesome. Great. I'm happy for you. Really. You know, because there's a whole world of things to discuss and do and, and enjoy, right? Movies, food, clothes, um, cars. Aren't there? I mean, isn't there? There's a lot to life, isn't there, that God has created. But I know this. That sooner or later, if it doesn't work, I have something to share. 
Um, and because I deeply care for my friends, uh, regardless of who they are, how they live, what they choose, how they choose to identify themselves, uh, gay, straight, left, right, tall, blonde, used to be blonde, now I'm brunette, you know, whatever it might be, um, okay. Every person, from the teaching of the scriptures, in Jesus' words himself, every person bears the stamp of God, period. So, um, and, and the way I look at the stamp of God is, is um, have you ever um, played the stupid game, how, how large the denomination has to be before you pull it out of the toilet? And where did I go, huh? Are you wondering where I went with that? There actually is a connection, no? Am I the only one that plays that game? Well, let's just take money, a $100 bill, but it's under a pile of poop. Is it still worth $100? Yes. It's just dirty, right? Fair enough? Okay. <laughs> I, I, there is a connection. Hang on with me, okay? But I think if you saw a $1 bill, you'd think, oh, it's not worth it. But I know for some of you, if it was 50, 100 bucks in that pile of poop, you might think, is anyone looking? It's 100 bucks. I mean, right? I can wash it later, you know? Wash it like right now, actually. Maybe not just later. <laughs> Put it in my pocket, it's okay, I'll get to it. Why does it smell like poop in here? I thought this was a fancy restaurant. When I go to Rick's Burgers, I expect service. <laughs> For some reason, I'm speaking British. So anyway, uh, <laughs> all right, it still has value no matter how, okay, so that, that's the conclusion. That's, it still has value no matter how dirty or jacked up it might be, right? Okay, back here. This is why I said this. <laughs> That's the story of humanity. See, some of you are totally jacked up. I only know that because I read your email. You told me, you know, how bad it was. You know, um, <clears throat> and I have my story. And I find it interesting when someone says, oh man, that was really helpful. I wish I would have met you 15, 20 years ago. No, you don't. Yeah, no, nah, no, nah, I had nothing to say. I was still halfway out of the poop, but, uh, you know... <laughs> And every person that lives, uh, no matter how damaged um, or unhealthy or how dark it may seem their life is, um, this is the thing that's fascinating to me, that they have stamped in their souls indelibly the image of God. And to God, they have incredible value. And for us, if we are his followers, if we're trying to be his students and practice his teachings and and imitate his lifestyle and have the same values is that that person ought to have a value to us as well. And so when, um, when God calls himself a shepherd and, and he says, I, I care about Israel. You, know, you, you are the, the keepers of the oracles. You, you, were the, you, you were the nation I chose to reveal myself to for everyone else in the world. And then he says, he, Jesus speaks about sheep that are not of this sheepfold. I have another pen. You know, that's us, the rest of us who are not Jewish. He said, man, I, and I can't wait to gather them and them and one group, one shepherd. Why? Because I care. Because I care. What's interesting to me is, is how the folks who, were, uh, who had to have charge of Israel, um, and, you know, we can always boo and hiss the Pharisees, you know. But there were some good men. They were struggling to try to figure it out. You know, there, there's several Pharisees that in the, in the story of Jesus came to him. They're, they're trying to process what is right for Israel, what is right for their souls. 
After Jesus died in Acts, we find that there was a group of people who were meeting his uh, followers. In the midst of them were other Pharisees who were recognizing that Jesus was that promised Messiah. But at that time, the idea of a shepherd was considered a, a low-class, unclean job. Now, we, there's some jobs for us who think we're like, no, oh, it's low-class. You know, I, I wouldn't want that job, whatever. But in their heads, it was also like a, had a spiritual component. You know, that somehow by brushing up against certain types of people, there was spiritual uncleanness transmitted to me, and I was cut off from God. Can you imagine the type of arrogance that you would have to believe that? And how you would behave in front of people. If you, you know, this is why when folks talk about um, how Pharisees would wrap their robes tight among folks for fear of touching somebody unclean. And yet that was the person who was supposed to care about their spiritual state. Do you see the disconnect? Do you see why God hated this? <clears throat> and you see why uh, Jesus is saying, this is not for you though. This is not how you're supposed to behave. This is not how I value people. In verses 17 and 18 of John 10, um, he says it twice, that uh, death is not the end, it's just uh, a beginning. And for folks who are expecting a political and a military uh, leader or ruler to help them get rid of the occupying forces of Rome, and maybe even remove the remnants of the Greek culture that was still in Israel, um, you know, John has a, a, a lot of heavy lifting to do. He has to convince them that Jesus is the Messiah precisely because he dies. That, that makes no sense. Even us right here, that you know that a leader who's going to be significant can't die before he leads them out. But John, as, as the other writers of the Gospels, these men who wrote the biography of Jesus were pointing out is that it's precisely because he died that he is the Messiah to demonstrate that, I, that, that the first or the primal most important release, liberation or freedom that has to occur is the one that occurs in the soul. That he is at, by dying he actually becomes the giver of life. Verse 19 and 21 as we close here in the next few minutes mixed reaction um, some folks thought he was nuts. Some folks thought he was literally the voice of darkness. That's what's crazy to me. That this metaphor, this story, Jesus is talking about voices. In their estimation, he was the voice of darkness. Now here's a couple of things before we, as we close. You can kind of determine the level of, of dysfunction when you hear what people consider functioning or healthy things. And I remember I had a friend not very long ago who had a very low view of, of marriage and relationships and, and sexual morality, a number of things. And as I listened to this person, knowing their story, that there's been an affair, uh, very fluid sexual expressions, you know, I, I always think, you know, how you can't live thinking that there's something right and healthy when you're doing the exact opposite. You know, that just, that just brings a level of tension and anxiety that it's difficult to live with. So what do you do? You have to tear down what's healthy and say, that's just nonsense. What I'm doing is actually makes sense. You almost have to convince yourself that what you're saying is, is right. And, you know, the, the, the louder that the guilt or shame is in something that we do, um, have, have you done this? When, you, when you're embarrassed about something that you do, you do it more to drown out the voice of guilt and shame, right? You know, 
I can't believe you're so awful. You want to see awful? You know, awful's coming. I'm just warming up, right? Yeah, we've all done that. Not me, but all of you. I have uh, <laughs> sick, twisted people out there. No, I mean, I, I, I remember that. It, it, you know, I remember that. And, and then others who heard the voice of, of Jesus as he was speaking, uh, whether he was in the distance or they were nearby or standing from behind him. Because you you're, you're in a crowd of people, right? Watching him as he's discussing all of this. They thought, you know what? This begins to make sense. But I, here's, what I, here's what I don't think. I don't think that they understood at all. I just thought that I think that they understood. Like, this person makes sense to me. I'm, I'm going to trust that he's, what he's saying is true. I don't get it. They could not have. Heck, even his disciples... The, the, a few hours before the death of Jesus, he's trying to explain to them and prepare them for what's going to come. They just, nothing. I told you in Matthew 28, after he resurrects, he's eaten with them. He's popped in and out. He's talked to them. He's unwrapped the scriptures. That Bible study with those two men from uh, Emmaus back to Jerusalem. I mean, you know, there's a lot of small groups I'd like to go to. But if Jesus is leading the Bible study, I, I'd make the time. You know, I'd go. It says at the end of chapter 20 that as they're watching him and discussing him, that, quote, some doubted. Which, which tells me that doubt is a part of the journey of faith. It's not the absence of it. It's part of it. Okay, so let me close with this. Um... <laughs> I've joked a few that, that, you know, sometimes there are so many conversations going on in my head, I forget which one I'm paying, supposed to pay attention to. Um, but there are voices that we hear. Here, here's how I can break them down. I think there's some voices that we hear that are destructive. That, that um, there are voices that I know that you hear that, uh, you know, probably, probably in a different categories will tell you how awful of a person you are, how you don't deserve what's good. Um, or their voices of hopelessness that nothing good will happen ever to anybody, that hope is an illusion. Um, and what makes those voices more insidious is that in many, many cases they're, they're the voices of people that have been in our lives as family. And it gets really weird when the voice actually sounds like you. Okay? And, I, I, and uh, yeah, uh, by the way, I, I, in the interest of full disclosure, I do believe in the spiritual personal darkness. Not just like there's some things that are naughty. I mean, there's a personal entity that's dark, that wishes nothing more than your humiliation, your embarrassment, your destruction. <clears throat> I think those voices masquerade as our own voice, and they masquerade as voices of people in our lives. Um, then there are voices that we hear that, you know, that are um, moments of clarity, moments of hope, that, that maybe, you know, we, well, I'll put it to you this way. If you came here today and you don't call yourself a Christian, you're hearing a voice of hope that you probably haven't been able to identify. Here's what I'm going to tell you who it is. It's God who's been speaking to you. I'm convinced that you know we, as followers of Jesus, never bring Jesus to anybody. That you have been in a conversation with God from the moment you had any kind of clarity or consciousness. That he has always spoken to you. You just haven't been able to identify the voice. You haven't been able to interpret it or hear it clearly. And, and so what I, here's what I want to tell you, ask you this morning, is that, you know, okay, who, what, what's the voice that's speaking to you? The voice that, that gives you hope, 
the voice that is healthy, the voice that causes your soul to thrive, the voice that brings a sense of pleasure and joy, that are, will always be the voice of God in your life, period. Uh, sometimes it's not understandable. I get that. But what Jesus is saying is this, that I wish to be the shepherd for you. I, I won't leave you. I won't hurt you. I won't take advantage of you. I won't humiliate you. I'm not angry with you. I wish to love you and restore and give you life. And as he said in verse 10 of John chapter 10, and give you life abundantly or a full life. And so that's the offer when he says, I'm the good shepherd and I'm the door. Um, We don't do this too often, but let me ask you guys to take a posture of prayer with me for just a second. If you close your eyes with me. And... um, Father, I do thank you that you are a good God who cares for us and a God that loves us. You've forgiven us our our moral crimes, our sins, our darkness, things that we've done, things that happened to us. You've healed us from all of it. And as we follow you, practice your lifestyle, practice your teachings, um, you heal us further and further and further and, and show us more about who you are and who we are. What I want to pray for is, is for if there's a, uh, someone in here who wishes to make a focused commitment to you, they don't understand it all, neither did any of us when we first did. Um, what I pray is that they would take this moment now to, whether it's verbally, whispered under their breath, or just the expression of longing that they've had, I, 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 I'm just hoping that you're there. So as we're all praying, I, hear, I want to encourage those of you who, you don't call yourself a Christian, but you want to know if, if there's a God out there who cares for you, the answer is yes, he does. And um, you don't have to choose him, he's, he's already chosen you. And then when his son died on the cross and bled out, um, that you were part of that. It, it wasn't just for everyone, it was also for you specifically. You don't have to punish yourself any longer. Um, You don't have to search anymore. But you can find your home, a safe home, with his son Jesus Christ, who loves you. And if you want to be connected to God to experience life, it's as simple as asking. You can take that moment now to do so. And for some who have maybe made that step or um, who wish to, um, I, I know that you're a God who cares incredibly more than we can. So I pray that um, you continue the conversation and I pray that they would hear you in a way they have never heard you before. In your son's name we pray, amen. Thank you for listening to this production by Mosaic Whittier a community of faith, hope, and love. For more information about Mosaic gatherings and events, please visit mosaic.org.